Would you bow your heads and, you know, this, this may be a good time. We don't do this real often, but this may be a good time to just take a moment and allow those who want to, to say out loud, verbally, to tell Jesus you love him. Tell him you love him for the cross, for shedding his blood, for covering your sins. But just anybody who wants to, praise him. Praise him right now. Oh, Father God, we come in the name of Jesus and recognize that we've not worshipped if we've not surrendered. The very idea of worship is surrender. And you gave all, you gave your all, you gave your life. And so we yield ourselves to you this moment, Father, and we say thank you to Jesus. Thank you for the love Oh, Father God that sent Jesus and for the love that took Jesus to the cross and for the love that sought us and found us. Thank you for the power that is ours through the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives and the presence of the blood of Christ that covers our sins. Guide us as we look into your word, we pray. And Holy Spirit, speak to us. Be our teacher and point us clearly to Jesus as Lord of our lives. In his name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, last week we looked at the, uh, the first nine verses, or first ten verses and, um, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied, was called to be a prophet during the reign of King Jos- Josiah. Jeremiah was a young man, we don't know exactly how old he was. We do know that King Josiah became king at the age of eight. You talk about an unstable country. Oh, the times in which Jeremiah lived and prophesied were turbulent times. They were perilous times. They were times when the three great superpowers of the earth were shifting and vying for control. There were times of polarization in the land between those people who were true to God and those who worshiped Baal and were outwardly, outwardly followers of Yahweh or of Jehovah, but inwardly and with their own worship practices while they gave verbal express to the truth of God, they practiced the very antithesis of that, the very opposite of that. Times not unlike the times we live in. Um, 
How many of you just kind of get tired of turning the news on? I mean, turn the thing off. You know, the only problem turning it off is you, you don't hear what's going on, or at least part of what's going on. You, don't, you will never hear all that's going on with the news because the news pretty well has a narrative that they convey. There was a time early in my life when reporters and news broadcasts made attempts to be impartial and give fair treatment to stories and, and, and not, be, uh, not be propaganda machines. But I think we've passed that time. Um, depending on which, which end of the propaganda spectrum you're at, there is propaganda. And so one of the things that uh, a lot of people have lost the ability to do, it seems to me, is to think critically about what's being said to think critically about what movies are trying to tell you, to think critically about what shows are trying to tell you, and to, to think about the intent of those who put that on, the, the narrative that's there. Uh, but that's not what I'm coming to preach about today. It does affect it. I believe that we're living in times when there are great world powers vying for control when, the, when, the, when those hackers from Russia, from China, if you, could see a, if you could see a living graft, I've seen it, a graft of all the hacks that are coming on the internet into this country, moment by moment, day by day, it looks like we're being bombarded by missiles. I mean, it's non-stop, thousands of hacks every day. And um, when there are those who are trying to shape the opinion in America for their own ends that are not in America. And then you get the polarization that is in America. And we're living in perilous times. I believe that we're living in times somewhat similar to Jeremiah's. Remember that Jeremiah prophesied during the good years of King Josiah. King Josiah came in, and when he got about eight years under him, he became a 16-year-old, he began to institute reform in the land that turned Israel back toward worshiping the one true God, at least outwardly. And as long as he was alive, the country had some stability and went in a positive way and, and, and reforms were going on and the, 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 if you remember the scripture, the book of the law, the scriptures, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible were found. They were found in the temple when they cleaned the temple out. When they went and began to remove the debris and reinstitute the worship of Almighty God in the temple in Jerusalem, they found the books and they began to pour over them. And when Josiah read those books, he began to weep and he commanded, he commanded that the nation begin to fulfill what, the, what is written in the books. If you want to, I believe it's Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah says, Thy word was found, O Lord, and I did eat it. And your word became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah prophesied bad news during some really good times. 
But Jeremiah outlived Josiah. And Jeremiah's prophets, prophecies began to unfold. Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to hold, that God was holding Israel and Judah accountable for their sins. And as a result of a continual rebelliousness against him, God was going to bring destruction upon the land. He was going to remove the people from the land. He was going to wipe out the city of Jerusalem. And he lived, as far as we know, we know that he lived up to the day Jerusalem was taken captive and just began the destruction of it. We don't know the rest of his life. We have recently seen how quickly, how quickly we can go from the freedom of assembly to watching worship services on television or on our cell phone. There are those who believe that was a dress rehearsal for something more sinister. I, I'm not saying I'm not, that I don't believe there are conspiracies. I know there is. The devil is alive and well. He's always working conspiracies. I'm not saying that I believe that's true. I don't know. But I know this. I know that I, I sensed the Lord telling me two or three years ago to begin to prepare God's people to live as an underground church. By that I mean like they live in China, where churches are not allowed to publicly assemble unless, unless they conform to the government's filter of all sermons and all material. You see, we've, we've done a pretty good job of making church people. We've won people to the Lord, and we've, we've won them, and most of us, when we say church, this is what we think of, isn't it? And God has blessed us and praised the Lord that we can do this. This is good. But this is not all of what it means to be a Christ follower. The mandate of Jesus is to make disciples. Who make disciples. Who make disciples. And... We as Baptists have believed you can do that through education. You can educate people into discipleship, but Jesus didn't do it through education. Education is a part of the process. Teaching has to occur. But discipleship is life formation. And that doesn't happen just sitting in a room with someone reading a quarterly to you. In fact, if we ever have to go underground, there won't be any quarterlies to read. If we can't look at the Word of God and be trained in how to understand God's Word and use it for our life and teach others, rather than having to have someone spoon-feed us, we will be forever babies and infants. God wants us to be an army. I don't mean with guns and weapons, but an army for truth and light and for Jesus and God's Word. Not an audience. God wants us to be participators in the kingdom of God. Not just spectators. Living our own lives. And giving God a little bit of it. 
When Jesus poured out his blood on the cross, he gave all that he had. And he said, if you want to follow me, you cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and give all that you have to me. God calls for commitment. As we look in Jeremiah, time to turn there now. As I read these scriptures and I think of these in light of uh, current events in the world, you know, it, it's, it's hard to prove something that seems subjective, isn't it? If I tell you that the Lord spoke to me, you have no evidence of that other than the fact that I said it. And then you can watch to see if you see any impact of my life that's pointed in God's direction to where you'd have credibility because of my past background and how I've walked with the Lord. But you couldn't hear that voice. But I'm telling you that when I read Jeremiah and the minor prophets when I was a young man in my late teens, I wrote term papers in college about the subject. And I believe with all my heart, now I could be a deluded person. And if I'm a deluded person, I don't know what that makes you, you're sitting here listening to me. And inviting friends to come, right? But I believe God spoke to me then and said, these things will come upon America in your lifetime. And so the Lord said to Jeremiah, after he called him and Jeremiah said, I'm just a young man. I don't know how to speak. And God said, it's not about you, basically. Now, that's not the words. He said, I will be with you, and I will give you, and I have put my words in you. Don't say you're just a young man. I am touching you with my power. And I'm giving you my words. And you're going to go, and you're going to stand before kings, and you're going to speak to nations in my name. And so one of the things about God is, is when he teaches us the truth, and everybody write this on your hand or your forehead or in your heart or in your mind. When God teaches you something, if you learn something of God, God, if He speaks in a message here or somewhere else and the Holy Spirit identifies with the truth, God will teach you something and then He will give you an opportunity to put into practice what He just spoke to you. Anybody experience that besides me? The Lord said, and here's where he's given Jeremiah an opportunity. He said, I called you. So now immediately he goes and says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see an almond tree. Well, that's pretty obvious, huh? What do you see? He must have been outside in the field. Lord, I see an almond tree. And the Lord said, you're right. And I am watching to see that my words come true. Now, most of my early life, until I studied Hebrew in seminary, or I found a, a book that would explain that, I wondered what on earth did an almond tree have to do with God saying my word, He's gonna, I'm watching over it. The word for almond tree, and the word for watching in Hebrew are so similar 
They're very, very similar in form. And so when Jeremiah saw an almond tree and God said, I'm watching over, it's like the almond tree word triggered something and God said, yes, not the tree, but the word that's very, very similar and close to that. Jeremiah, I'm watching over my word to make sure it happens. When I look at these passages, and I, and I want to share as much as I can with you this morning um, about these things, the first, I ask, what, what do I see, what do, what, what do we need to learn from these passages about how God interacted with his people in those days that we can apply by the power of the Spirit of God in our current situation, in our current days? And the first thing that I want to share with you is we need to learn how to see. We need to learn how to open our spiritual eyes and see. And we need to learn how each of us to look in Scripture. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or put down on anybody, but I'm telling you if, if the basis of, all, of most of your Bible knowledge comes just strictly from coming to hear me preach, there's six days a week you need to get your head in the Bible and get your heart there. And if nobody's ever shown you how, I've found some ways that I'll help you to understand if you want to. How do I see? How do I see? Because I need to view the world in which I live through the lens of God's revealed Word. Only then can I know truth. We live in an age when you listen to something on the news or you hear something that somebody says or you hear something or you read in the newspaper, if you still find a newspaper, or you see it on Facebook, you don't know what to believe. Everybody's got a spin. Everybody's promoting a narrative. It is more important than any time in your life that you and I learn to look in the Scripture and to listen with spiritual eyes at what God is trying to say to us. Because, because the principle is this. Whatever God is saying, whatever His Word is teaching, God is watching over to make it true. Now that scares the snot out of me on some days. And on other days it comforts my heart greatly. God will keep His promises. When I think about America... And I think about all the good things that have come out of America. When I think of all the missions that have gone to the ends of the earth from America. And I think God has blessed our land and He's blessed our people. As long as we walked in His ways, there has always been evil people. There have always been people who had wrong motivations working the scene and milking the money. But the truth of God worked its way into the very fabric of our society and God blessed us because He watches over His Word. And when He says, if you do this, I will bless you, He watches over His Word and He watches people to see what they're going to do about His Word. 
On the other hand, when he said, if you do this, I will curse, he watches over that word too. Isaiah 55, verse 6, and following behind it says, My ways are not your ways. The heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways. So shall it be that my word will not go out of my mouth and return to me void. Empty. In other words, God is saying, I'm not going to say anything that I won't back up. And so when I read God's Scripture, when I get God's Word in me, when I get a hard attitude toward the Word of God like Jeremiah when he found it, can you imagine the Bible being lost for hundreds of years? Lost in the house of God. Lost. And he found it, and he began to read, he began to weep, and then he began to take pleasure and joy in God's Word. And as he did that, he began to see God unfold. My Word will not return to me void or empty. As the vapor rises and forms clouds and brings rain and goes and water the earth, so my Word will not come back to me without having its intended purpose. God's Word, hear me, God's Word, when we read it, when we hear it, it will either bless us if we act upon it and obey it, or it will act as a judge on us because we will stand before God one day. And if we knew His Word and didn't do His Word, our house will fall down. That's what Jesus said. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, God's Word is alive and it is powerful. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. You know why you have a double-edged sword? Cut one way and cut the other way. It cuts all the way through to where the soul and the spirit meet, to where the joints and the marrow come together. It judges the desires and the thoughts of our hearts. That is a blessing because if you don't have some umpire in your life, you can convince yourself to do all kind of evil things with nobody saying no. And the darker our culture gets, the more desperately we need God's word telling us back up here. Or go forward here. Because the culture is counter to Christianity. Christians are a minority in America. And the culture is flowing swiftly in another direction. The people who are pulling statues down are not just pulling down the statues that they purport to hurt or hate. They're pulling down the statue of John Greenleaf Whittier, who, who was an abolitionist, one of the founders of the abolitionist movement. 
there is something, there is racism that needs to be corrected. But there is a spirit behind a lot of what's going on in America that has nothing to do with justice. It has to do with anarchy. With destroying the fabric and the order. And without God's Word to speak into you, you would be blind except for the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who will show you all things that Jesus taught. One of the things we need to take away from Jeremiah is that God watches over His Word and He makes sure it happens. And listen, please hear me. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. Somebody you've been praying for to be saved? Well, how can they get saved if they don't hear the message that contains within itself God's power to convict, to convince and to draw and to save. That's like praying that you'll go to the prom with a certain person and never letting them know you have any interest. You pray for that person to be saved and you pray for that person to be saved, but you never put the gospel in front of them. And the gospel is the power of God to save them. Well, the second thing that we need to learn out of this Jeremiah passage is, look down in chapter 1, verse 13. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to me again. He said, what do you see? And I, I answered, I see a pot boiling in the north, and it's about to tip over this way. And so God, when he speaks to this prophet, uses ordinary situations that are common going on but when God speaks through the ordinary extraordinary things are revealed and so he says I see a pot looks like it's going to turn over it's kind of in the north and God said destruction will boil over from the north on all who live in the land you need to hear that when judgment comes it comes on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Destruction comes. Now God tells his people, you trust in me, I will shelter you. But that does not mean you won't go through difficulties. When God says, I'll save you from, it usually doesn't mean from in the sense that there's a detour that the bad stuff isn't coming. It just usually means when the bad stuff gets here, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you through it safely and I'm going to save you from, from that. I'm going to pull you out of that at some point. <clears throat> I'm calling all the nations in the north to come. Their kings will set up their thrones at the gates of Jerusalem, around its walls, also around the other cities of Judea or of Judah. And I will punish my people because they have sinned. They've abandoned me to offer sacrifice to other gods and have made idols and they have worshipped them. So get ready, Jeremiah. Go and tell them everything I command you to say. Do not be afraid of them now or I will make you even more afraid when you're with them. Listen, Jeremiah. Everyone in this land, the kings of Judah, the officials, the priests, and the people, they will be against you. 
But today I'm giving you the strength to resist them. You will be like a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall. They will not defeat you. For I will be with you to protect you. How the Lord has spoken. We need to learn that it's okay if you're a Christian to have the world oppose you. We lived in a culture that has been, for the most part, if not friendly, at least tolerant of Christians. But we are quickly moving into a time, quickly moving into a time, if they're preparing to pull down the statues of Jesus throughout America, and they are, you can count on the fact that we're in the target. And we need to learn how to fear God, but not people. God said to Jeremiah, I'm going to send you to speak to these people, and every single one of them is going to be against you. They're going to oppose you, and you don't be afraid of them. Because I'm with you, and I will be your defense. You say, Brother Gary, what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about being a Christian in an unchristian world that hates Christians is going to be a tough thing. And we got to get over wanting everybody to like us. And we got to think about what pleases God and not what pleases man. The Lord said in Philippians, if we would think on the things he tells us to think on, and we'd put our trust and our hope in him and stand on Christ, that God would surround us and build a wall and make a fortress around us, and he'd give us peace. If you're living for people to like you, you will be brought to a place where you have to choose, do I please God or do I please people? And the truth is, many of you got to choose that now if you're in a work world. We must learn to get our strength from our God. If we live in dangerous times, well, let me quickly... Move on to my third point. Look in chapter 2. The Lord told me to proclaim the message to everyone in Jerusalem. I remember, and here's God's message. I remember how faithful you were when you were young. How you loved me when you were first married. You followed me through the desert, through a land that had not been planted. Israel, you belonged to me alone. You were my sacred possession. I sent suffering and disaster on everyone who hurt you, and I, the Lord, have spoken. And then the Lord says, listen to the Lord's message, descendants of Jacob and tribes of Israel. And the Lord says, what accusation did your ancestors have against me? What made them turn away from worshiping, uh, turn away from me? They worshiped worthless idols and they became worthless themselves. We need to understand, this seems so parallel to me in America, 
Not that America is some kind of glorified Israel or some kind of spiritual Israel. We're America. But America came out of slavery and was formed. Yes, there were financial reasons that historians will tell you for the colonies. But there were most of the people who came to the colonies were looking for freedom to worship God the way they wanted to worship God. And as long as America sought God over the history of these years, and we'd turn away a little bit, and God might send a judgment, perhaps the Civil War was an instrument of judgment. People forget that many white men lost their lives bringing slavery down. Nobody remembers that. Go to Gettysburg. Weep as you drive through Gettysburg. Go to Vicksburg. Weep as you drive through the cemetery at Vicksburg. Go to the great Civil War places of battles and let your heart be broken and cry because of God's judgments in America. And the catastrophic event of that. During the Civil War and after the Civil War, revivals came. The early 1900s, revivals came that corrected course somewhat in America. We've not seen a revival now in a long time, not of any significance. And God said, what, what did you find wrong with me that you turned away from me? What did you find wrong with me, America, that you turned your back on me? When you cried out to me in battle, when General Patton cried out to God in the forest, when they couldn't find their way out, and the fog had moved in, when General Patton himself cried out to God, and God heard and delivered him, and people cried out to God, and God delivered our nation. And Christians cried out, and God delivered. But when did you decide that you don't need God anymore, and you turned and worshipped worthless things? Worship the, the very nature of an idol is that it's vanity. The Scripture says, do not lift the name of God up to vanity, to emptiness. And it's primarily talking about idols. Don't worship idols and associate that with the Almighty God. When did you think, America, that you would turn away from me from my laws that protected and governed families and kept families together and decided that, that you didn't have to stay married or be married to one another? When did you turn from me and say, it's okay, you do whatever you want to do because you are God in yourself. You make your own reality. We need to understand that when we worship worthless things, we become like the thing we worship. If we worship Almighty God, we will become more like Him. If we worship Jesus, we will become more like Jesus. If we worship ourselves, we will become worthless. If we worship money and greed, we will become worthless. 
Do you know when I was in Zambia, I, I was a millionaire because I went over into Zimbabwe and I found a dollar bill over there. And that dollar bill was worth $2 billion in Zambia. I mean, in Zimbabwe, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in the, that nation because you'd have to have a wheelbarrow to take the money. It's worthless. It's worthless. If you worship money, when you stand before God, your money's going to be worship, wor worthless. America's worship sex. America's worship pleasure. We worship self-fulfillment. And we worship most anything except God. And some have worshiped all other things and still want to give God a little bit. Listen, we need to learn to give God all that we are every day of our lives. You read a little further, and I'm going to wind this up. God states his case, and he says down in verse 11, chapter 2, no other nation's ever changed its God. Even though they weren't real, they didn't turn their back on, but my people exchanged me, the God that brought them honor, for gods that do nothing for them. And so the sky will shake with horror and be astonished and amazed for my people have committed two sins. They've turned away from me the spring of living water, the spring of fresh water, the fountain of living life. They've turned away from me and life and they've dug cisterns cracked that can't hold any water at all. Before you tear down one thing, you better make sure you got something better to replace it. And there is no substitute for Almighty God. And he goes on to say, verse 17, Israel, you brought this on yourself. You deserted me, the Lord your God, when I was leading you along the way. Verse 19, your own evil will punish you and your turning from me will condemn you. You will learn how bitter and how wrong and evil it is to abandon the Lord, your God. Folks, I want to say to you this morning, when you ask God to leave the country, when you say we don't want you in our schools, when you say we don't want you in our government, we don't want you in our White House, we don't want your crosses on our public lands, we don't want your name on our money, and so on. And if God pulls away, you will learn how bitter it is to have life without God. Where God is not, God, God fills the universe. He is full of mercy. He is full of kindness. He is full of justice. He is full of righteousness and holiness. But where God is not, there is hell. And the Bible says every nation that turns away from God will turn, will be turned to hell. How bitter it is to reject His authority to refuse to obey and to refuse to worship Him. In verse 20, verse 19 of chapter 2, He says, You've become like a rotten vine, worthless vine, 
my cucumber vines are beginning to die. I've had some real good cucumbers, but the vines are beginning to die down. And even though that cucumber out on the last tip of the vine that is now green, when the yellow death gets to that, it will turn yellow and rot. And God said, even if you washed yourself with the strongest lye soap, I'd still see through your scrubbing at your sin. And he says, turn back to me. But down in verse 25, he says, but you say, no, I can't. I've loved foreign gods and I will go after them. The last thing we need to learn, thirdly, that what I just said, that it's bitter to forsake God. And America will learn that unless we turn back to God. Sadly. But Christians, the last thing out of these passages I want to say is that God always, always, always has a remnant. He has a group of people who do not bow their knee to Satan, who love him sincerely. Chapter 3, verse 21, it says, A noise is heard on the hilltops. It's the people of Israel crying and pleading because they've lived sinful lives and have forgotten the Lord their God. Return all of you who've turned away from the Lord, and He will heal you and make you faithful. In chapter 4, verse 1, the Lord says, People of Israel, if you want to turn, then turn back to me. If you're faithful to me, remove these idols that I hate. It will be right for you to swear by my name. And then all the nations will ask me to bless them, and they will praise me. Verse 8 says, put on sackcloth and weep and wail, because the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned away from Israel. God calls Israel to repentance. And though you will not hear repentance preached much in this land today, God has no other way. There's a door, you come to Him, and the first outer door is the door of repentance. And repentance means a change of heart, a change of passion, a change of direction. It means a change. It means to turn or to return. I was going in Africa preaching, and my friend Chapeta was driving the little bitty truck. I called it the Fred Flintstone truck. The brakes were not much good. And Chapeta, if you're listening, I love you, brother. But that was kind of a, didn't have good brakes on it. And we were turning. We went down the wrong road trying to get to where I was going to preach and he was hitting those brakes, and I was trying to think, how can I put my foot on the ground, slow this thing down? We eventually got it slowed down, and he turned around, and we got on the right road. Even now, if America will turn or return, God will hear us. He will hear us, and he will bless us, and he will lead us out of darkness into light. But whether America does or not, 
individuals, you who are watching on Facebook or on YouTube, and you who are sitting in this room, if any of us, myself, you, if any of us will turn with all our heart to the Lord in sincerity and ask Him, what, what is it in my life that you want to change? What is it in my life? What evil way do I have that I've not looked at that I need to get rid of? And turn back to our Lord. Maybe it is racism. What evil in my life do I need to turn to the Lord and hand it to Him and forsake it and turn away? There will always be a remnant of God-fearers and God-worshippers. And even if His church goes underground, there will be those in that church that will thrive even in hard times because they know their Lord. Will you be one of those? I hope we don't have to go underground. But we had to shut down for a while, didn't we? And if people don't take heed to the COVID spread, we'll have to shut down again probably. But even so, God's Word will thrive in the lives of those who trust Him and who obey Him and who follow Him. Pray with me. Father God, you look through our hearts and you look through our lives and you know that there's not a person alive that can say, I have not sinned. But you also say, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh God, wash your church. Wash my heart. Our own scrubbing efforts are not adequate. We need you, O Lord, to scrub us. God, give us hearts this morning to fully commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. To learn again to love your word and to prepare our hearts for whatever you have in the future for us. Take this word, God. Take this word. Use it as you will in our lives, we pray. And may Jesus be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm not going to stand at the front. Some of you may want to come and kneel up here. Some of you may want to kneel where you're at. I don't know if we've gone too far to pray for our nation. I don't know. I know God told different prophets, don't pray for them. Even if Moses were here praying for them, I wouldn't listen. I don't know if we've gone that far. I don't think we have. I think if God's people would pray for his land as much as we love to eat, if we learn to pray with the passion we have with other things, that God would take notice. But I know he'll take notice in our lives. And so I'm inviting you, perhaps you need to 
come and bow. Perhaps you need to kneel where you're at. Maybe you need to just sit there. Maybe you don't need to do anything. But we're going to have a song of invitation. Our brother Dave will be here. And I, I, I ask you about social distancing. If you need to make an appointment for one of us, fill out a yellow card. And we'll make that appointment. We'll talk to you. We'll counsel with you. We'll pray with you. We can do it on the phone or we can find ways to do it in person if you're not sick. But we need to deal, do business with our God this morning. And whatever that looks like in your heart in the next few minutes while we sing, I'm asking you to respond to what God puts in your heart. Let's sing. This morning for being here. I look forward to seeing you again. Don't forget on Wednesday night, six o'clock, Brother Dave's on online and sharing some really good Bible studies. Oh, uh, 
I don't, I hope you will not think I'm mad at you. I'm not. I feel the heavy, heavy weight of what I see. What I see when I look in God's Word and what I see when I look around us. If we don't have a change, a turn of heart, we'll have a change and it won't be a good change. We have a position as Christians where we can cry out to God. And we have an opportunity. We have a door that's open. But we need to prepare ourselves. As Peter said, and has said to every Christian group since he wrote the book, prepare yourself, arm yourself to suffer as a good soldier for Christ. Arm yourself. And so making sure that I'm seeking after God with a pure heart, and I'm learning through God's Word that I'm not dependent it's good to hear the pastor. I want you to hear the pastor every week, okay? I want that. But a Christian that has the Holy Spirit and God's Word, you don't have to have me. I want you to love me. I don't want you to throw me away. But at the end of the day, you have the Holy Spirit and you have God's Word. Learn to function on that level in God's Word so you can stand regardless of what happens. Thank you for being here. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Now, this doesn't mean I don't want you to go out and joy because you got Jesus and he's going to keep you no matter what you do, what happens, what comes, you got him. Well, folks, tickling ears. You can get tickling ears and, and preachers that'll tickle your ear and not tell you all the truth and, and you can go away feeling good, but a good feeling ain't going to make anything different. Good feeling just because you feel like you're tired of COVID doesn't make it go away. It's still there. And there's things that we've got to deal with if we're going to stand in this country. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for what you did in Jeremiah's day. Thank you for the door that says return to me. Return to me. Thank you for the pleading voice of God's Spirit and God's Word that is always pleading to return to you. And God, thank you for this church that loves you, that seeks to be honest with you, and seeks to serve you. Use us as a lighthouse, not just when we're gathered, but even more abundantly as we're scattered. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.